Hello and welcome to this latest podcast from Heart. Today we'll be discussing the perennial topic of statins, and in particular we'll be looking at statin use following acute coronary syndromes. We know that statins are vital following acute coronary syndromes in order to optimise outcomes. However, making sure that patients take these medications in the long term can be challenging. And that's been looked at in a recent study that we've published in Heart from New Zealand uh, with lead author Dr. Karina Gray and senior author Dr. Andrew Kerr. The article is entitled Maintenance of Statin Use Over Three Years Following Acute Coronary Syndromes, a national data linkage study, ANZAX-QI2. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line just now by Dr. Karina Gray, the first author. Good evening, Karina. Hi, how are you? Very well, and thank you very much for getting up so early to join us. Could we just start a little bit about the, the subject of statins for acute coronary syndromes? Um, obviously, we know that there's good data showing that they are prognostically useful. Uh, but the issue, of course, is that we have to get patients to take these tablets. And that's something that's not easy to do. Can, can you give us a little bit about the background, about what we know about long-term statin usage following acute coronary syndromes? Actually, we, we don't know very much. Statins, as you know, are one of the most commonly prescribed drug classes worldwide. And... They've been shown in systematic reviews and meta-analyses of randomised control trials to be safe, effective and cost-effective. And they are an important, if, if not the most important, component of secondary prevention following an acute coronary syndrome. Um, however, despite the clinical benefit um, of statin use in patients with coronary heart disease, and particular, particularly those who've had an acute coronary syndrome being well-established, um, many studies have documented the presence of a significant treatment gap um, immediately following an acute coronary syndrome. So our group, for example, previously looked at statin use over a one-year period following hospitalisation for angina or an acute coronary syndrome, and we estimated that treatment gap at 40%, which basically means that four out of 10 patients were not being maintained on a statin only one year after discharge. Um, internationally, other studies that have been done on patients following an acute myocardial infarction or an acute coronary event um, have looked at um, slightly longer term use. So um, one Canadian study, for example, showed that um, uh, statin use was as low as 40% over two years. And another study in France um, reported that it was 76% over two and a half years. So quite widely varying. Um, and in fact, these two studies um, are especially useful because they form part of only a small number of studies that have investigated statin use over um, a longer uh, over a longer term than one year. So really useful, but they do have certain caveats. Um, the most important of which is that they include cohorts that may not necessarily be representative of the general population. So the French study, for example, was based on claims data from people in the general health insurance scheme which excludes almost a third of the population. Right. And so, well, first of all, that's that's very striking numbers, nonetheless, that there are obviously a significant number of patients who aren't being treated well uh, or adequately with statins uh, a year or two years after their event. Uh, but also that leads very nicely into your study because you took uh, New Zealand registry data, which obviously gives you a very broad overview of the population. And I understand that you managed to get every patient who had an acute coronary syndrome in New Zealand uh, over a time period in 2007 enrolled. Is, is that correct? Or you were able to analyse data from that time period? Yes, that's right. Um, in New Zealand, we're really fortunate in that um, our National Health Board routinely collects data on all hospitalisations, deaths and subsidised pharmaceutical dispensing. 
um, and we can anonymously link this data to create a picture of each individual's healthcare journey. Um, so for this study, it meant that we were able to anonymous, anonymously identify all people who had been admitted to hospital with an acute coronary syndrome, like you say. We are able to follow them after discharge, and in this study we did so for three years, and then track whether they had been dispensed any statins until they died or until the end of follow-up, whichever came first. Right, I see. Uh, well, that's a really useful database to have and obviously gives you a, a lot of information to look at. So in terms of uh, how you went analysing it, I, I noticed that you developed uh, an outcome measure called uh, the medication possession ratio or MPR. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, the medication possession ratio is um, quite widely used in the literature. Basically what it is, is you calculate the number of days supply of certain medication that a person is dispensed over a certain time period and then you divide that by the number of days in that time period and because in New Zealand um, people are given statins um, for free um, while they're in hospital we didn't count um, that time so basically our denominator was um, the number of days they were alive and spent out of hospital during follow-up and in the literature, um, people commonly define an adequate um, medication possession ratio of as being 80% or more, which means that someone is in possession of a drug um, for at least 80% of follow-up time. Obviously, um, for us, the medication possession ratio, it's, it's a direct measure of um, medication dispensing, but an indirect medica- uh, measure of medication use. However, the literature does indicate that it's reasonable to use it as a proxy measure of medication use. Right. Okay, great. So that's that's very clear and, and obviously something that uh, we'll go back to because you looked at in quite a lot of detail. And the other thing you looked at was uh, socioeconomic deprivation uh, using a, a particular scoring system that was relevant for New Zealand. Um, obviously, social ethnicity and deprivation and their links to cor- coronary disease and their outcomes of those patients uh, and their coronary disease is something that's uh, very interesting. And uh, in particular, in New Zealand, obviously, you have a large Maori population who, I understand, are certainly affected by cardiovascular disease. Is that the case? Is that something that's been studied in the Maori population? Uh, well, yes, that's right. In New Zealand, we do have a really strong focus on um, improving health inequalities and um, Māori people who are the indigenous people of New Zealand um, do tend to experience poor health outcomes in terms of acute coronary syndrome so it was really important for us to um, to study them and um, we also have uh, two other groups who we consider um, high-risk ethnic groups and um, those are Pacific peoples and uh, Indians who also experience um, higher rates of acute coronary syndrome. Um, however, um, we haven't yet had the opportunity to um, to study whether, well, before the study, we didn't have we hadn't had an opportunity to study whether they were receiving um, treatment at the same rate as other ethnic groups. Okay, great. So there was a chance here to really get some new data on these patients who may be uh, underserved or even undertreated. Um, well, yeah, can, right. can we move on to the, the results section uh, a little bit? So I, I can sum one thing up, which is I, I noticed most of the patients who uh, you re- looked at had had a non-ST elevation MI, exactly half the patients, and 14% had had a STEMI. 
the remainder had had either unstable angina or an unspecified uh, MI. Could you just summarize for us uh, how you found statin use to be at, at one year and uh, also the three-year data? Okay, sure. Um, so um, well, we looked at three things. We looked at statin maintenance over, um, over the follow-up period, so looking at the proportion of people who were maintained um, on a statin as defined by that medication position ratio of at least 80% over one year and up to three years after discharge. Um, we looked at patterns of statin maintenance, so whether someone who was on a statin that first year after follow-up was um, still on a statin three years after follow-up, and we also looked at um, independent predictors of inadequate statin maintenance. So I'll just go over those three. In terms of statin maintenance after follow-up, um, we found that 69% of patients achieved that NPR of 80% um, in the first year, and that dropped down very little actually to 66% of patients um, up to three years after discharge. So basically two out of three ACS patients um, are being adequately treated with a statin up to three years after hospital discharge. Um, and we did break that down by year post-discharge. So as I said, 69% over the first year, 67% over the second year, and 66% over the third year. Um, overall, 10% of um, patients received absolutely no statins during the three years of follow-up. Um, however, those overall percentages do mask some important differences by population subgroup. Right. Um, so, it, so although 66% of people um, overall achieved an, uh, a medication position ratio of at least 80%, only 46% of under 45-year-olds achieved this, compared to 71% of 65 to 74-year-olds. Mm. Similarly, um, um, in those who were on a statin prior to being admitted to hospital, 82% um, of people were adequately maintained on a statin, compared to only 54% of those not previously on a statin. Um, so really some big differences when you dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think uh, yeah. the 10% of statin patients not receiving any statins at all is something that sticks out for me. I, I, do, can you give us any uh, thoughts behind what, why you think that might be? The number one reason that springs to mind is statin intolerance. And in clinical trials, only a small percentage of patients are reported to be intolerant of studies, but in really big registry studies, um, they do report that 5 to 10% of people are found to be intolerant. So that would be, I guess, the first main reason. Um, I should point out that in our um, database, you can't tell, it, it's just dispensing, so you can't tell whether someone's actually been prescribed it in the first place. Ah, right, um, okay. And it's just not picking up their prescriptions or whether the um, yeah whether they've made that decision not to not to take medication, so we we can't decipher whether it's um, the physician or the patient deciding that someone shouldn't be on a statin. Understood, but uh, at the same time, I, I completely agree with you. I think although we know from large studies that it's supposed to be a small percentage of patients that are statin intolerant, in in real life clinical practice, it certainly feels like much more. Certainly, that's what we um, kind of hear from from the primary care clinicians. Okay, and I think the other implication from your data is that it, it does seem to be that if patients are established on a, a statin uh, is effectively in the first year, uh, then there's a good chance that they will continue that uh, up to three years. Would, would that be fair to say? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and that was um, quite a big finding for us as well. Um, so of those who um, achieved a, a medication possession ratio of 80% or more in that first year, 82% continued to receive adequate amounts of statin in the third year. Um, and kind of on the flip side of that, of those who received no statins in the first year, um, 82% received none in the third year. Now yes. this suggests to us that if, if we can achieve adequate statin use in that first year after an acute coronary syndrome, patients are really likely to continue taking it in the long term. And um, this is like a good news um, story because um, um, we should really be congratulating um, our primary care colleagues um, because in New Zealand most of follow-up of ACS patients um, is carried out in primary care and it shows that primary care is doing a really good job um, getting those patients um, to keep taking um, their medications. But we also need to support them to maintain these efforts. Absolutely, and but I would completely agree with that sentiment. And it it is very much a positive message, isn't it? That if if we get in early and educating our patients and treating them right from the start, then we can hopefully convince them that these are lifestyle changes that are beneficial, and therefore they continue with the treatment for as long as they need it. So yeah, Absolutely. I think that's a very positive message. If we could just speak a bit about the multivariate analysis you did, uh, and this comes back a little bit to what we were saying before about uh, ethnicity. Um, can you just talk us through what, what your findings were from the multivariate analysis, uh, looking at what was actually influencing whether patients were taking statins or not at three years? Okay. Um, so we used Poisson regression modelling to um, investigate the possible predictors of poor or inadequate statin use after one year and up to three years after discharge. And specifically, we looked at age, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic deprivation, um, the type of acute coronary syndrome, so whether it was unstable angina or um, myocardial infarction, uh, history of cardiovascular disease, whether they'd received coronary revascularization during admission, um, and whether or not they were taking a session prior to being admitted. Mm-hmm. So after adjusting for all those factors, the strongest predictors of inadequate session maintenance um, or being young and, as you say, of being um, being either of Māori or Pacific ethnicity. Um, so those under the age of 45 were 15% less likely over one year and 25% less likely over three years to um, achieve a, uh, a medication possession ratio of 80% or more compared to those aged 55 to 64. Um, and similarly, Māori and Pacific people were about 15% less likely to achieve an adequate um, medication possession ratio over three years when compared with New Zealand Europeans. Um, so that's, that's quite a big difference and for us with the um, inequalities in um, acute coronary syndrome um, outcomes for Māori and Pacific people, it, um, it shows that you know we still have a lot of work to do and mm. there's a real opportunity here to, um, to start addressing those inequalities. Yeah, absolutely. And it really points towards health education, targeting these groups and also trying to get them uh, on the right medications at an early stage, as we as we said a moment ago. But it does really sound like an opportunity from from what you've discovered. I think the other thing I I think is that you've also shown, as as you mentioned, your discussion uh, that it looks like compared to some of the more historical studies uh, that we also mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that the use of statins is overall still in the increase. Would that be a fair comment? Yes, I'd say so. I mean, studies other than ours have shown that statin use is increasing. Uh, That study from Canada, 
um, was in 2002 um, that reported that only 40% of patients were taking um, statins after two years. And, you know, we found that um, two-thirds of patients. So I think as more and more people become aware of statins and as doctors become um, more aware of the guidelines, that um, that's increasing statin use. Yes, yeah. Well, looking forward to to how you carry this research on, Karina. Uh, I mean, certainly one thing that would be interesting to know is how this usage of statins correlates to patient outcomes. One would presume that those patients who uh, have the greatest statin uptake have the the best outcomes. But um, are you looking for any outcome data or do you have any subsequent work uh, in this particular area planned? Well, actually, I... um I had done an uh, analysis on um, whether adherence had, did correlate with mortality and we did find a direct correlation. So those who were able to achieve the medication position ratio of 80% were um, less likely to die 28 days after follow-up. But studies have done that before um, and found the same thing. Um, and also, we have um, convincing evidence from randomised controlled trials that statins do work. So really, our, our next big thing that we want to look at is whether people are actually receiving um, adequate clinical trial dosages of statins. Right, right. Um, because our data suggests that a lot of people are on much lower doses of statins um, than they should be. That's really interesting because we know that's certainly been a problem, for example, with heart failure and lots of patients being on the right medications, but perhaps the uptitration not being there. So, um, yeah, I guess that, that'd be interesting to see whether patients are on the right dosage of statins, what statins they're on, and how that translates into outcomes. That's right. Fantastic. Well, I, thank you very much. I have to say it's, it's rare to get to such a comprehensive population or, or entire country level study, uh, as in your case. And I think it really just reminds us that there are still challenges there and how we prescribe statins in, in secondary prevention. And uh, thank you very much for talking us through it tonight. Thank you so much.